When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. People just build up 30, right? <laughs> Are you guys 30? Yeah, so I'm 35, Kristen's 34. So tell me if you agree with me on this. Like, I feel like people really build it up. People who are over 30 are like, I'm telling you, it's a change. And you're like, what fucking ever? And then you do it and you're like, oh. It just felt like I walked through a door to Narnia. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hey y'all and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen. And it is true. Your 30s can feel like stepping into this Narnia of self-actualization. And I don't mean that as a shade to any younger listeners. Like, <laughs> We mean this in the most encouraging way possible. Truly. If you feel like you aren't growing up, falling in love, or succeeding fast enough, take heart. You have a role model in today's guest. Amanda Seals is a 37-year-old comedian, actress, and self-identified late bloomer. Yeah, I'm not reinventing. I'd say it's coming into my own. Because reinventing sometimes feels like, oh, like you're doing this because it makes more sense to do this over here, right? Mm. Whereas I think I'm just like expanding. I'm just like adding apps. So Caroline, what apps do you think you've added post-30? I think I've definitely upgraded and added the Give Fewer Shits app. Uh, I just generally care way less about what other people think about me and what I'm supposed to be doing or thinking or looking like as a woman, whether that's like how I do my hair, how I dress myself, whether I'm married or not. What about you? Well, to be honest, I spent most of my 20s just digmatized by dudes and just an overall need for male approval. So I feel like the biggest change has been in deleting uh, maybe some of my thirst apps, you know? (laughs) Oh, I do. And for Amanda Seals, the difference between being in her 20s and her 30s has really made her current breakout moment possible. She first made a name for herself as a rapper and DJ when she was barely 20. But in the past five years, Amanda Seals has blown up in a whole new way to whole new audiences. You may know her as Tiffany from Insecure, or you may have caught her live game show, Smart, Funny, and Black, or maybe you subscribe to her hit podcast, Small Doses, or maybe you heard that she's going to host NBC's new comedy competition show, Bring the Funny. Caroline, I barely have the lung capacity. (laughs) Amanda is a woman in demand, y'all. And we talked to her fresh from an appearance on Larry King, where she was promoting her new HBO special, I Be Knowing. What's your read on President Trump? I try not to read him. He's never been not what he is. He has always been who he is. The question to me I know him 40 years. You're right. He's always been... He's always been this person. So my question is... Amanda does not shy away from talking about potentially uncomfortable topics like politics, race, class, and entitled Larry Kings who don't do their homework. He didn't even watch the special. What? Oh, what? And so then I got to ask him on air. I was like, why you didn't watch my special? 
He's like, because, you know, I, I don't, he was because I, that's, that's, I'm selling, I am, I am finding out about if I should watch it. I'm like my viewers. No, nope. And, nope. you know, nope. so you got to sell nope. me. And I was like, I ain't selling shit to a white man. And he was like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so today, Amanda tells us why turning 30 was such a major milestone to becoming the type of unlady who doesn't sell shit to a white man. And how gymnastics, a name change, and dinner at Katy Perry's house helped her get there. It's all to find out how to be a breakout late bloomer, no matter your age. Well, listen, uh, Larry King can go fuck himself because we watched the special. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Amanda Seals knows the hustle. After starring in a Nickelodeon show in the 90s, she had a whole career in her 20s as a rapper and radio DJ, and she earned a master's degree in African-American studies from Columbia University. No big deal. Now, this sci-fi-loving Renaissance woman is best known for her acting and comedy. And it's interesting, in your bio, your manager describes you as a, a multi-hyphenate self-generator, which is a phrase that I had never heard before. My agent described me as a multi-hyphenate self-generator. That sounds... I mean, that's badass. Like an incredible model of Android. <laughs> right? Like when Sears reboots, like when Sears gets it together and comes back with like, we don't sell dryers anymore, we sell it robots. Like, that's... <laughs> The model I want. But but so how, how does one become a multi-hyphenate self-generator? It's funny. I, I mean, I likened it to, to being an Android, but it really is about programming. You know, I'm just programmed to not depend on others for my excellence and for my advancement. So it's always been tasked to me to figure it out. And that was like early on. I mean, even in the fact that I was a gymnast, you know, when you're a gymnast, you're on a team, but you are contributing to the team solely by your performance. Just like the individual responsibility of what you're bringing to the table was always something that was like in my corner. And fast forward, you know, as a broke artist, it just becomes how do you stop being a broke artist without like sucking dick or getting a job outside of art? You know, it's like at a certain point, it was like, am I really about to go to nursing school right now? Like, is that going to happen? Because nurses always got a job. So it became like, no, you're going to do hand-painted tote bags and sell them on MySpace. And if you sell one a day, then you can average making, you know, like 300 something dollars a week, which adds up to what you need to get for rent if you do that for a month. I mean, like, that's how my brain ends up working. It just becomes about, like, how can I facilitate not having to depend on people because people are not reliable. As I love I you know I love the people that I have in my space, but the programming of being a, a multi-hyphenate self-generator more so was about necessity uh than it was about like yeah, you know, it just feels it feels right to be playing the violin right now, you know what I mean? It's like that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not how it went. You mentioned gymnastics. We have to go back to your somersault days. <laughs> we do. We have to go back. <laughs> We have to. We have to go back. And uh, we read your essay in Paper Magazine. Oh, my God. Um, where you wrote, you know, your dance teacher said you weren't mature enough. And uh, you wrote, in typical Amanda fashion, I was like, oh, for real? And I went and did my own shit. And Story of my life. 12-year-old Amanda is absolutely like, oh, you don't want to believe me? Cool. 
no, no shade. But I'm going to go over here and turn this mother out, though. That's what's about to happen. And so within, within a year and a half, I went from taking recreational classes two times a week to being on the competition team every day. And then within like four years, I was a level nine. I'm literally kind of living the same lifestyle as a comedian. I kind of just, once I'm about something, y'all, like I'm about it. It's a very cancer trait. Once I decide to really lock in, like it's very, it's very serious. That's why like I, I don't know, I can't fully like discount their truth of me being uh, an android or like a Cylon for all my Battlestar Galactica fans out there. Um, <laughs> well, we also read in that that paper magazine essay about uh, your your leotard flair. Very serious. And I was just wondering if you could share a little bit with the audience of um, just your your love of leotards and how you were. I mean, as, uh, as a gymnast, people don't understand. We're literally you're not you're in Leos more than you're in real clothes. If you notice, gymnasts can never dress. It's always like a, a <laughs> scrunchy sock. You know, there's a high waist short. It just never. Seems to really add up. There's like a, it's just always like, what are they wearing? But then their Leo game be crazy. <laughs> crazy. You're like, is that velvet? Would you just describe uh, one of your uh, your favorite, just so we can get a, a better sense of your personal Leo game, uh, would you describe one of your, your favorite leotards of the time? I had a leotard that was pink and it had praying mantises on roses. And... I, to this day, am that kind of person. I'm like, how weird can we get without being a weirdo? <laughs> That's basically my fashion style. Um, even though I am a weirdo, I'm not trying to have the conversation be more about, like, what is you wearing than what I'm saying. So I have to keep it to a certain extent of limits. But, like, that was one of my favorite Leos. Um, we went through a strong velvet phase at Brown's Metro. But we went through a strong... When Velvet Lycra came out, y'all, the streets was talking, okay? And it just became about, like, who could get the most unique Velvet Lycra. When I came up on the white Velvet... <laughs> what? What? I came through in the white Velvet and shut everybody's game down. I just shut the whole shit down. <laughs> okay, A, you're kind of making me want to wear a leotard now, just in my personal life. I used to wear... Um, I used to clean in leotards. I, like... I literally can't do a cartwheel. Yeah, you um, can. I could teach you how to do that in a day. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's easy. I mean, the thing about a cartwheel is people are thinking about the end. They're not thinking about the beginning. The real key to a cartwheel is the kick of your foot that's not on the ground. You're thinking about, like, how am I going to land on the other side? If you kick that leg hard enough, it will, because of gravity and your body, it'll take you to the other side. This also feels like some metaphorical life advice in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure I can come up with something. <laughs> Yes, I did. Your I did. Because it's momentum. And there that's what the there other it leg is. is. It's momentum. A lot of times, we know what we want to do. We just don't have the momentum to do it. Ooh. <laughs> As Amanda got older, she vaulted from gymnastics to entertainment. Her first major breakout moment came at 19 when Russell Simmons gave her a spot on Deaf Poetry Jam. This was a big deal. It was on HBO, hosted by Most Deaf, and was kind of a spoken word hip-hop mashup with performances from superstars like Jill Scott, Dave Chappelle, and Kanye West. So in 2003, Amanda took the Deaf Poetry Jam stage as Amanda Diva, and she performed a piece called Hot Shit. Y'all good? 
Yeah. All right. I got 40 MCs on my block, walking with a bop, claiming that they real hip hop. 80 feet in Tim's and sagging jeans, rhyming about cream, chasing the same dream. This poem is a Amanda big. Diva was hot shit. Her hip-hop career was taking off. MTV Jams made her a VJ. Sirius Radio made her a DJ. And she dropped a mixtape. But the Amanda behind the diva struggled to bring her real self on stage. If she didn't, she felt like a fake. But when she did, well, it wasn't always well-received. Like, that MTV Jams VJ hosting job, it only lasted a year. And then she was kicked to the curb. I was always doing the shit, but, like, it was always, like, a battle. Even when I was on Deaf Poetry, it was like, okay, these people, like, this small group of people thought I was dope enough to put me on here, but then I'm having to fight a bunch of poets who are like, you're too young to be on there, or who do you think you are, or look at you, you trying to be all pretty on here, that's not what we were about. You know what I'm saying? It just felt the balance of people who got it versus people who didn't get it was so drastic. It was just, like— Always an uphill battle of, like, these two people over here get what the fuck I'm saying, and these 22 people over here are like, get this bitch out of here. Why was turning 30 such a significant milestone? Can you tell us about that that birthday? That fucking birthday. 28 to 30, I just felt fucking crazy. I just was like, what? You know, like nothing. I just felt in a constant state of PMS, you know, just like, what? <laughs> Mayhem is happening around you. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, I just crossed the threshold in 30 and it was like, oh, it's cool. Yeah, all right. I'm seeing it better. And by 32, I knew exactly what I needed to do. Something about that 30th birthday and crossing over into it made me be like, oh, you go get it. You got it. You got this, girl. You got this. And, you know, it 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 worked out. It worked out, guys. It worked out. <laughs> there was one other milestone for Amanda at 30. She realized it was time for the diva to die. So, like, the name Amanda Diva had started hurting me. Because I was finding out that I was not even getting considered for jobs because they felt that my name somehow was an indicator of my ad- attitude. And also, like, when I would be doing basic shit, like, just, you know, demanding people do what they said they were going to do, it made it so easy for them to be like, she's a diva! And I was like, no, I'm just, like, someone who reads my contract, you know? An industry friend suggested she might want to change her name. And at first, Amanda wasn't so sure. And then, like, right before my 30th birthday, I started feeling like, maybe I should. And then, like, maybe... Maybe, like, a couple weeks after, me and my sister went to an event, and when we got to the door, the girl was like, okay, so what's your name? And I was like, Amanda Diva. And she was like, okay, girl, okay, yes, Diva, you better give him Diva. And I was like, that's it. We are done. (laughs) Wrap it up. And a week later, I changed all my handles. People were like, you can't change your name. And I was like, whatever, watch me. And now there's people who never knew I was Amanda Diva. In a minute, Amanda tries stand-up as her post-30, not-diva, real seals self. Stay with us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Y'all keep asking me, Amanda, who is this special for? And I keep telling y'all, it's for my sisters. We're back with Amanda Seals, and this is the introduction to her brand new and first ever stand-up special. But it's comedy, so it's really for everybody. Okay, maybe not for everybody. Everybody except for racists, rapists, sexists, misogynists, narcissists, you know, folks that are calling the cops on black folks who just living our lives. Yeah, it ain't for you. It ain't for Trump voters or coons or people who don't believe that white men can be terrorists. It ain't for dudes who want hair but don't want to eat no pussy. It ain't for you. If there's one thing Amanda's trying to make clear with this bit, it's exactly what she already has in her Instagram bio. I'm not for everyone. So why are you not for everyone? I'm not for everyone because I feel like we are definitely, oftentimes, especially in entertainment, like you're goaded into this idea that everybody has to like you and everybody has to watch. And I would rather have quality over quantity in terms of the people that are inspired by or that are listening to or watching or attached to my work. So when I say I'm not for everyone, it's like, yo, I'm not trying to appease all y'all. So if you think that me saying things that offend you offends me, let me tell you now. That me calling you on your shit is not going to stop me because I am not doing this for your approval. Because that's what ends up happening is that it's like it becomes a culture of just don't say anything questionable so that no one can question you so that everybody's happy. I'm not interested in everybody being happy. I'm not interested in everybody being comfortable. I'm really interested in folks looking at themselves because I'd be looking at myself all the damn time. And I get it. It's a bitch. Okay? It's not always fun. (laughs) The moment when Amanda realized that she didn't need to be for everyone happened, she says, back in 2013. She was 32 and went to see the movie 12 Years a Slave. I saw it in, like, the whitest theater of all time. I don't even know what I was thinking. Um, I went to see it in Lincoln Center. Why? Literally, it's like I might as well have gone to see it in the middle of Mississippi. Um, But I saw it in the middle of Lincoln Center with, like, 75-year-old white women who literally one woman patted me on my shoulder and was like, can you put your hair away? Oh, my God. True story. (laughs) So (laughs) I leave the theater, and I was just so affected by the film because a lot of people don't, especially particularly a lot of black people don't like that film because it continues the narrative of, like, creating art and work that positions Black people in slavery. But what I personally liked about that particular film was that it didn't present slavery as like this general idea. It was a story about an individual and that individual's particular relationship to this like ridiculously tyrannous, terrible atrocity. And it personalized it in a way that I feel like often doesn't happen when folks do these types of films that are not of this cultural heritage. So when I left the theater... I was just, like, very affected, and I remember just standing on the street, standing on the street at 66th and Broadway, and I said to myself, you know what? Fuck this shit. We're not 
we're, we're stopping. We're not going to keep trying to cross over. We're going to break through being as black as we want to be. And if they don't like it, then it ain't, for, it ain't for them. Then, just a couple weeks later, Amanda took this realization with her. To her first ever stand-up set. I always say SNL was looking for a negress at the time. And so, like, all of these showcases popped up in New York. And, like, this this chick, Liza, she just randomly emailed me and was like, hey, um, I would love to have you on our showcase. And I knew that I needed to pursue stand-up, but I hadn't actually, like, taken the initiative other than just kind of putting it out into the universe, like, like the alchemist, like if I put this out there, the universe will conspire to give me what I desire. And it did actually, because I went and did the set. On the way to the set, I was very nervous, of course, naturally. And I get to my train transition. I get down to 14th and it's mayhem, mayhem. And someone has jumped on the tracks. Someone has jumped on the tracks, and so now there's no trains. So I get out of the train station, and this chick is on the corner. And I'm standing there looking around because now I'm like, oh, my God, is this a sign? Like, what is the universe trying to tell me? Is it telling me that I'm not supposed to go do this? And the chick on the corner is like, hey, are you going to Williamsburg? And I'm like, oh, my God, this is this is what the TV show Girls is based on, this person right here. And <laughs> she... <laughs> She's like, are you going to Williamsburg? And I was like, yes. She's like, do you want to share a fucking cab? Because I can't even believe it. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. <laughs> like, let's do it. So she hailed a cab. We got in a cab. I'm just like, yeah. Like, So what would you, what'd you dress up as Halloween? Because it was like three days after Halloween. So we started talking about Halloween. And I started talking about how like that year, this is 2013, that year like there had been just an, a ridiculous amount of blackface. And it was like the Trayvon Martin costumes and that crap. And she was like, I've never even heard of blackface, but it sounds like some fucked up shit. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> it is. And now I am forced to educate you. So we spent the cab ride with me telling her about blackface and her just being shocked at, you know, the fissure that was now forming in her white bubble. Um, I will give her credit, though. Like, she was not by any means, like, arguing with the reality of this. She was more just like, what? Like, I was over here, like, reminiscing on New Kids on the Block, and you were over here, like, dealing with racism every day. That's crazy. And she... Definitely, like, just took interest, but basically that conversation was so just rife with hilariousness that when I got to the venue, I realized that that was my set. So I threw out everything that I had decided I was going to do, and I just did a whole set about blackface and that conversation. And ironically enough, like, over the course of my figuring out my stand-up, it, it has actually circled back to that being kind of the nature of my stand-up, which is I take a topic and I kind of, you know— do some quips about that topic and then there's a story that always ties in or or that gets created that helps to, you know, further uh, examine that topic. That set didn't land her on SNL, but it didn't matter. Amanda was reclaiming her voice on the stand-up stage and it felt like a new superpower. She says, since she can't turn water into wine, the next best thing is turning shitty topics into something funny. Amanda still brings that superpower to her comedy, acting, and her podcast. It's called Small Doses. Small Doses. Self-help from the hip. Small Doses. We're talking that shit. Small Doses. And keeping it real. Small Doses. With me and Nancy. And in one very important episode... 
Amanda breaks down a theory. Today's episode of Small Doses is Side Effects of White Women. I know some of y'all just got your whole panties in a bunch. Unbunch them and listen. Amanda says there are two kinds of white women. White women who derive value from their whiteness and women who happen to be white, who understand the bullshit of white privilege and want to do better. So that that conversation in the cab is reminiscent to of a lot of themes that come up in small doses and also in your HBO special. And was that also a seed of planting the the theory of two kinds of white women? Because it seems like that woman was almost like a a mashup of of the two of both like problematic. But like, I feel like that's wrong. I mean, there's gray area within people who happen to be white far more than there is in white people. Because all it means is people who happen to be white, on a basic note, understand that white supremacy is some fuck shit. Now, the depth through which that gets dismantled is on a spectrum. But people who are white people are very much about the fact that, like, nah, I'm white, I'm better. And that has nuance as well, but at the end of the day, it's in a very specific core place. And I think that what ends up happening is that people who happen to be white, who have the consciousness of like, oh, white is not better, they find out though that even though they have that outward consciousness, there's behaviors that they're doing that are so ingrained in the fact that we live in a society that pushes that narrative that they have to realize like, oh shit, I was unintentionally carrying forth that without knowledge. Amanda, that's what unintentional means. But basically that is the part that blows people's minds when they realize like, wait, what? I didn't realize that that does that. It does, you know? So, but I wouldn't say she, I mean, I, listen, I was a gymnast. That's not necessarily like the blackest sport out, right? So I was a gymnast in Orlando, Florida in the 90s. It was like me and I can name like four other like different race girls that were there with me. That dichotomy of whiteness is really meant to just simplify for folks, what side do you want to be on of right and wrong? So earlier, Amanda mentioned that moment outside of a club when it dawned on her that Amanda Diva needed to go. Fast forward to 2017, and finally, she felt the universe telling her that Amanda Seals, comic, cultural critic, and actress, had arrived. She was invited to a dinner hosted by Katy Perry. And essentially, Katy wanted to have a post-presidential election dinner with a bunch of celebs to talk about politics and race and other big topics, basically as a way to show her fans that it was important to try to talk to people across party lines. I had gotten a call from one of Katy's friends, who is a friend of mine, Basically, they wanted me to come because they were like, we feel like we need somebody who's not afraid to be direct because we feel like it could end up just being a polite conversation versus a productive one. And if you want to have a productive conversation, call me because (laughs) that's what I'm about. I came and the dinner had like Van Jones, Sally Cohn, DJ Skeeter, Margaret Cho, Derek Blacksburg, Anna Navarro, Caitlyn Jenner, and then like one of Katie's fans like won a seat at the table. And I I know she was like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) I thought I was coming here to play with Katie and the dog. 
And um, nope, you're coming here to talk about how Trump could be Hitler. That Hitler comment is something Amanda said during the conversation. And Caitlyn Jenner did not like it. She called Amanda hostile. And Amanda engaged. The reason I am so passionate, and I'm not hostile, I'm passionate. The reason I am so passionate is because I've had such a different experience in this country than you. Because as a black woman, the government is so much in my life. And it always has been. Like, the government literally said that black men couldn't even be in the house or else women could not get welfare. And that's a big reason why there's such a chasm between black women and black men in this generation. I understand why you're talking the way you're talking. Because I know... Because... I I just don't understand what am I talking. I just said I believe in this country. Yes. And you You can say that in a way that I cannot. Because you've had a different experience. Because this country is here for you. This country ain't here for me in the same way, sis. It isn't. And you, as a trans person, have to also identify the fact that this country hasn't been here for trans until, like, maybe 2 o'clock today. It went viral. And overnight, I went from Amanda Seals, who is an actress on Insecure, to Amanda Seals, who gathered Caitlyn Jenner like a ponytail. (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you, though, like, just as an aside, watching that clip, like... I, I, even if I know something to my core Mm -hmm. and I believe something, I don't think I have ever been as totally confident and as unflappable as you were in that moment. Like, it's it's so easy for, yeah, well, I. I want you to get there. Well, I just feel like, I mean, I get so upset and just like ragey whenever I try to express myself to like a Trump supporter. Can I tell you the trick? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can't really care about if they get it or not. Mm. It just, you're saying it because it needs to be said. But once you start caring about if they get it or not, that's where you go crazy. Because it makes you feel crazy that they don't get it. We always have to be conscious of the fact that we're not just speaking to the person we're speaking to. We're speaking to a, a world of people who need to hear what needs to be said. And this person is simply the vessel through which that message is happening. When we come back, Amanda tells us more about dropping gems of wisdom for her audience. Don't go away. want a Harriet Tubman to smile, y'all. Remember when they were talking about putting Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill? There was a room full of white men who got together and said, ah, 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 ah. I think we can all agree. Harriet Tubman just doesn't look happy. You don't say. We're back with artist, actor, podcaster, and comedian Amanda Seals, whose first HBO stand-up special just came out in January. I almost feel like, in terms of your uh, the HBO special, that to just call it a stand-up special almost does it a disservice because you're not just bringing jokes, like you're bringing a song, you're bringing like a (laughs) full-on education, like it is... It is a dynamic experience. <laughs> it's a one you know? incredible variety show. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. What did that feel like, recording that? 
I mean, it's like surreal because I respect stand-up so much. I mean, it really was something that I didn't step into casually. The reason why it took me so long to do stand-up was because I just felt like I needed to deserve it. And I needed to come to it when I had something to bring to it. And so, like, by the time I got to the stage, I'd also been doing a month of shows to, to like, really get my reps in. And the last run of shows I had done was in Nashville. I did two shows in Nashville that were sold out, and it blew my mind because I didn't know I had fans in Nashville. <laughs> so that was, like, wild. So to come now, so to add all of that, so you have to understand, though, like, even before we get to, like, me being in front of people, it's like Stan Lathan's directing the special. And we're shooting my special in the same exact venue that we shot my performance of Deaf Poetry Jam when I was 19. <laughs> and, like, the just the surrealness of that. All these elements are, like, forming, like, Voltron. And, <laughs> and then you're on stage and people get it. And that, I mean, I was never got for a long time. Like, I'm the kid who kind of always felt like I didn't fit because I knew too much, you know, or who was being told, like, you're too smart for your own good and dumb shit like that. You know what I mean? And being told, like, oh, like, you just think you're better than everybody because you talk white. And it's like, I really don't talk white. I just, I just talk without any regional signifiers. Um, and... Like all of these things that, you know, you kind of, the late bloomer was for me, not just about the fact that I was flat chested till, you know, the 2000s, um, <laughs> but also <laughs> like I have a friend who to this day would be like, you finally grew titties. Ain't that some shit? <laughs> like to this day, he's still shocked. Like we just didn't know it was going to happen. We just never imagined it would go down. Um, and, you know, and, and so I think the late blooming was not just that, but also like coming into my own in a way that was about me being so sure and clear on, on like what I'm about in my voice that it started to attract people who either were, were felt the same about themselves or people who want to feel the same about themselves. So that's what shooting that special was like, oh shit, we actually have reached a point where like enough people get it that it doesn't feel like you're having to explain. You just get to share. Now, that formerly awkward late bloomer shares plenty of advice on her podcast, Small Doses. In other words, she's... Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. <sighs> How did you learn to mine those gems? Jam dropping really just came from... The idea of, like, I want to always, like, attempt to be saying things that have value. I mean, I'm silly, you know, and I say some crazy shit, too, and outlandish shit. But the goal is to always at least drop something that you can take with you that has value. What personal internal work ha have you had to do to, to gain your gems of wisdom? You just got to get start getting, like, real with yourself and just, like, like, come on, Amanda. Like, what's the shit that keeps getting in the way? Clearly, your attitude is part of it. And that's uncomfortable, right? Because you're like, I know I'm a good person. So why don't other people know that I'm a good person? And I'm not willing to, like, be fake. So how am I going to, like, adjust this? And that then 
takes you kind of having to have like conversations that you don't want to necessarily have with people and with yourself and just kind of like doing self-exploration in a very tedious way. Just like, did I do that right? Did I say that right? Could I have done that right? Could I have done that right? Could I have done that differently? Could, and like, that's annoying, right? Like, that's just like, ugh. And then there's the hard stuff that you have to swallow. Like, you guys, I don't, I don't want to like start all the emails with hope all as well. Okay? <laughs> I don't really care, you know? How much of that, too, do you think is is also a product of or is made possible by being in your 30s as opposed to trying to do this kind of work when you're in your 20s, if that makes sense? I mean, I think your your 30s is almost like you've proven like, OK, I can still be here. Right. I, I was trying to do this work in my 20s. And I was like, I just couldn't do it because I didn't have. I don't know if I didn't have the development or I just didn't have the maturity or just even just like the time or or even the right people around me, et cetera. But it wasn't happening. And um, I, I'm so glad that I went broke. I'm so glad that like I, I like had a pop of like fame when I got on MTV and then I promptly was released a year later and was sent back into like the grind of things because it forced – me to become an artist based on self, not based on production. It forced me to like have to like create from like the depths of me. And by the time I got to 30, I had just had a lot of practice with having to come from just me to make shit that I feel like it it gave me a better entryway into having to now deal with, like, the emotional part of me, not just, like, the physical, practical part of doing shit. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's also, like, you have more money. You kind of have – ideally, you have more money. You have a, a little bit more calmness. You know, not as many things surprise you and jolt you. And it gives you a little bit more patience with yourself, ideally. And also, you, I stopped kind of doing so much work to to pay attention to dudes that was taking up a lot of my 20s, you know, caring what men think and how trying to figure out how they think. And I mean, I would say I, I like in the last year have gotten way better at that. That's like an ongoing struggle. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I started seeing somebody now and it's like it's it's basically manageable simply because he's just like super duper like transparent. That's all I'm interested in at this point. Just be 100 be 100. Or as someone said on my Instagram the other day, be eight more than 92. What? <laughs> what? Be that eight more math. than 92? I was like, <laughs> math jokes? I. <laughs> well, okay. So one thing we did want to ask you is as a, a dropper of gems, a giver of advice, a speaker of truths. <laughs> I sound, You sound like you're announcing me as Khaleesi. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I am. Um, is it challenging for you to follow your own advice? What? Of course. I mean, it's like really become easier, but it's definitely something I still have to like be stringent with and be ardent about and like be trusting in. That's the whole thing is just trusting like 
bitch, you're going to call the special I be knowing. You better do shit based on you be knowing, you know, like, and it's, it's like having faith in yourself that if you have this feeling, it didn't come from nowhere. It came from somewhere and keep your eyes open for the signs and the omens. And in the past, I would like have a feeling about something and just try to block it out and try to be like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, you, you don't know what that is and call it something else. So and I always tell people, like, you know, uh, all of us are rescue dogs, really, right? We're all rescue animals. We're all rescue animals that have seen some shit and just need somebody to be patient enough with us as we go through the process of trusting this new home that we're in and learning the nooks and crannies of it. Well, Amanda, I really hate that we have to This let has been you go. so fun. And listen, it's not always <laughs> fun. <laughs> Well, I can truly say that today was fun. And Kristen, three cheers to us for making it out of our 20s alive. Yeah, and and thriving on our own timeline. Because it's really easy to feel intimidated or get down about all those 30 under 30 lists, you know, (laughs) and all those young folks who who are making all that money and smashing all those glass ceilings and whatnot. But listen... Let this hopefully be a comfort to you, regardless of your age, that we can still add and delete apps. You know what I mean? Hashtag still adding apps. Yes. So listeners, what apps would you like to add or delete or have you already added or deleted? Let us know. Email us at hello at unladylike.co or find us on social at unladylikemedia. Also, we are currently seeking your stories about body hair. Tell us about a time when you felt conflicted about hair in your pits, legs, arms, or face. We're not talking about pubes or head hair for this particular episode. So email us your stories to hello at unladylike.co or you can call our hotline and leave us a message. That's 2628-GALPAL. We love hearing from y'all. And make sure that you visit unladylike.co to find links to Amanda's podcast, her special, and just everything else she's ever done in her life. And while you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to get actually good news about women in the world in your inbox every Wednesday. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Nora Ritchie is our associate producer. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. And Ash Sanders transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing, sound design, and additional music is by Casey Holford. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radlett. And we are your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Urban. Next week, tie in your tubes when you know you don't want kids. Growing up, you know, I never really thought of myself as somebody who wanted to have kids, especially when I was experimenting with my God complex in that computer game, Sims. Remember that? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, none of my Sims had kids. It was just too much work. Why is getting sterilized so hard for women? Y'all, don't miss this episode. Make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike. I got a whole lot of rage in this little body. You've got productive rage. I call it refined rage. That's what I call it. Yeah, refined rage. Like it's like it's when you say productive, it's cutting through, you know, like it's doing something. And it took a minute to get it to there before it was just kind of like spilling out of me like Jean Grey when she makes all the cars I levitate before she works with Xavier. (laughs) Yeah. That's where I was at, guys. (laughs) Yeah.
<laughs> you're like, Gene, please, Gene, stop. <laughs> That's what I was at. Stitcher. <laughs>